growing up, if you'll indulge me for just a few moments, I was not a Nintendo player. Uh, the, the font and the design of the logo today, except the controller, is Nintendo's font, and I did that for the purpose of the title of the lesson, but we were a Sega household, and boy, every, every morning that I could play Sega was a good morning in our house. Sonic the Hedgehog, Spider-Man, Carnage, some of these games that I would play that I look back on them now and think, man, I was content with really bad graphics and a really bad gameplay. Uh, but back then, that was the best they had. And I play games now that they look real, the characters, whether it's a sports game and it looks like there's actual hockey players playing on my TV or a football game or a race or even... You can go to battle and fight in some middle-aged earth and have all of these types of wars, and it looks like you're fighting realistic people. And it's, it's always been something that I've enjoyed doing. I grew up playing video games. It's something I do to unwind. It's an enjoyable experience for me. But something dawned on me a couple of weeks ago when I was talking with Ryan about something, and then someone else said something as I was watching a, a video on the idea of this mentality. You hardly ever see a video game made where you're not the main character. There are some that are like that. that you play a supporting role and you can choose to play a supporting role and not be the main character. But for the most part, if you buy a game, you are the main character. If you're playing a game where you're this hero, you're a superhero, you're the hero for the whole game. It's you. Everything that happens to that city, to that town, to your people all rests on your shoulders, and if they, if they are saved, it is because you saved them. That's what's happened. If they lose, it's because you failed them. And this idea of being the main character, and then perhaps you've been like I was growing up, you go to the movies and you find yourself identifying with the main character. That, that's just like me. And my dad would have to say, you are not the Incredible Hulk. You know, uh, no, Dad, you don't understand. I get angry real easily, and that's just like me. Or you go to a movie or a TV show or whatever, and you just kind of sit there and you think, I relate to this character so much. Now, hear me carefully. There is nothing wrong with going to a movie and thinking that you relate to a character. There's nothing wrong with purchasing a game and playing that game where you are the main character and you're a Spider-Man or a, a Captain America or whatever game you want to play. There's nothing wrong with doing something like that. But there has been a problem that's come up where people think they're the main character always, 100% of the time. You know, when I turn my gaming console off, I'm no longer the manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you know that? But boy, for the hour that I play, I have full control. If I want to trade my star player for draft picks, I can do it. Nobody tells me no. If I want to go and sign a free agent, nobody tells me I can't do that. Nobody's calling me about the salary cap or any of that other stuff. But the moment I turn that off, I realize, yeah, that's a game. I didn't do anything really. I just made all that up. While we were on vacation, my dad played me a voicemail from nine or ten years ago now where I was calling him to update him about something that was happening in the game I was playing currently. And I listen to that now and I just kind of laugh because I'm thinking, man, what? Why was that so important to me back then? There is an actual main character syndrome 
that's been going around, people have been talking about lately. In fact, these two articles I'm going to read sections of for you were just in the last month and a half, both of them. One was this month on the first of the month, and the last one was on May 6th. In the first place with the article that came out this month, main character syndrome is when somebody presents or imagines themselves as the lead in a sort of a fictional version of their life. Digital communication platforms make it easier for people to fall into the trap of main character syndrome. And main character syndrome could, it doesn't say it does or that it absolutely does, but it could share traits with psychological problems like narcissistic personality disorder for a minority of the people that experience it. And the mindset has definitely creeped into our society. The article that was written back in May from Newsweek.com says there's no real set definition of main character syndrome, and it's not a medical syndrome in the traditional sense. Broadly speaking, it describes people who act as if life is a movie and they're the central character. In this way, it is comparable to narcissism and can be detrimental to others who are seen as little more than extras. If this sounds familiar, you probably have it or know someone that does. And this type of egocentric behavior, which psychologists told Newsweek has been around since the beginning of time, really, is what they suggested, has found new life and name on platforms such as TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Name a social media platform that you can give somebody the opportunity to express their opinions, and you found main character syndrome, a breeding ground for it, if you will. In fact, let me illustrate this by the way the article does. The main character tag, if you were to put a hashtag or the number sign and then main character, if you were to search that, it's been viewed over 5.3 million times on TikTok. Main character syndrome, almost 215,000 times, and main character complex, over 36,000 times. And on Instagram, you can find its features alongside 76,000 posts. I need you to understand something as we begin. And I need you to just hold the thought and bear with me. We're not special. Hold that thought. I need you to hold on to it for the whole lesson. But I have to say it now. We are not the main character. And I want to begin by pointing out that this is not our story. This isn't our story. Let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, what happened? Well, God created the world that is around us. I didn't create the world. You didn't create it. God did. And I want to illustrate this by looking at a following, the following passages as we think about this mindset of creation. When we look at the creation of light, Genesis 1, 3, and 4 tells us that God did that. When we look at the creation of the waters and the dry land, we look at the Bible and Genesis 1, 9 through 12 tells us God did that. When we look at the idea of the firmament and the animals that God created that are around us, even the creeping things, Genesis 1, 17 through chapter or through verse 25, God did that. And when we ultimately look at all of creation, Genesis 1, 31, God did that. How foolish would it be to read such verses and suggest that this world was our own creation? Where's your name in those verses? Where's mine? It does not say in the beginning, Brother Anderson, or Brother Daryl, or Brother Al, or Brother Nathan, or Brother Bill, or fill in the blank. It doesn't say that. 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verse we're ever told about the Bible is to try to show us, you're not the main character. I'm not the main character. How books start is very important. It's introducing everything. And the introducing, the introduction of the Bible and of God's message to man is, this is my story. This is not your story. I'm going to be the one dictating the terms. And the very first verse is packed with power because I can't create a universe. You can't create a universe. But God can. And you know something that dawned on me while I was studying about this? We're not even original creations. Do you know that? Go to Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 26. Genesis 1, 26 and verse 27. Whose image are we made in? Did God go before the creation of the world and say, look at this original item that I have created. This is called man. No, and you look at Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And I'm not trying to say that the creation of mankind is insignificant this morning. I don't believe that at all. But I will say two things on this. We only exist because God wanted us to exist. Full stop. Let that sink in. We only exist because God decided that we could. And the second thing is this. We only have the characteristics that we have due to God making us in His own image. We belong to God. Again, this is His story, not my story. The likeness that we possess is just simply because of the image that we've been created in. When we were in Branson, we looked at this Marvel comic picture booth that you could take a photo with, and I have two in my office. And I let Adam pick, what pictures are we taking? Because it'll put us on a comic book cover. And he picked Spider-Man because that's his favorite superhero. And so we held him up, and he and I took pictures as if we were going to be on Marvel Comics. And then what they did was they took the original photo, and they made copies of it, and they gave me the copy. The original was taken on the computer. I don't own the original. I got a copy of it, but it was made in the image that I saw on the screen. It was produced after what was shown to me. And we're told that man is produced after God's image and likeness. And unfortunately, we know it's not our story because we're in need of redemption. You know, Jesus is the hero. If you look at Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If we were to make a movie about the Bible, I can tell you who the main character would be. It would be Jesus. Because even from the beginning, 
The moment sin entered into the world, we're told in Genesis 3.15, I'm sending a Savior. It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. And from that point forward, even until the completion of the Bible, every single thing that happens was to either get the Savior here or tell people that He was here or tell them that He had come and died in the flesh and that we need to follow Him and be able to go be with Him one day in heaven. It's always been about Jesus. It's not about me. And it's not about us because we've often been aligned with the villain, Satan. Satan tells you that you are the main character. This is your story. You want to do something? Do it. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. You know, there are games out there that that's literally what you can do. If you think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shoot that bottle that's over there sitting on that little table. You can do it. There are other games where you can't do that. It's just a made image that's basically painted onto the screen and it's not something you can interact with. But there are some games that everything is interactable. You can do anything with it. Satan says, this is your story. You do what you want. You want to do something because it pleases you? Hey, it's your story, isn't it? You don't want to do what's right? Don't, you don't have to. It's your story. And Jesus had dealt with his followers on more than one occasion. And in one of those occasions, we find in John chapter 8 and verse 39, because, you know, in the first place, Satan causes us to think that we belong to someone other than him, him being the father. And ultimately, the problem that these people had was they didn't realize who their father was. In John 8, 39, they answered Jesus and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You're not Abraham's children, but you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth in which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father. That's God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word, and God's not fooled by your act. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of the, of the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, and therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. We're told in other passages in the Bible like Romans 3.23 that all of mankind at one point or another has had Satan as a father. Happy Father's Day, right? What a father to have. A murderer from the beginning? one that you can't trust, when he speaks, you know that he's lying because he's speaking. Can you imagine how many cards have been written in today? Even in this building alone, how many cards have you written in for a father to give to somebody that you love to show them that you appreciate them on this day? Can you imagine writing in the card, thank you so much for being a murderer from the beginning, from being a liar? Father, I know that when you speak, you're lying. I mean, I'm just so appreciative of that. No one would write that. 
But that's what they were doing, and they didn't even realize it. And Jesus says, you're not of Abraham. You're certainly not of God. That just leaves one option. You're of the devil. And the devil's trying to make you believe that you're the main character and that I'm the main character, but I'm not. But there are main characters, and let me just point this out. There's, there's one chief main character, and then there's two supporting characters, if you will, if, if you would look at it that way, that are more important than any one person. The main character is Christ. We mentioned that a moment ago, and without him we would be lost. Daniel mentioned in the reading of the Lord's Supper, Isaiah 53, Funny enough, I had that first 11 verses in my sermon as well. I'm not going to read it because he did a good job with that, but I'm going to comment on it. Isaiah 53 is talking about the fact that we need a Savior and that someone is coming to take on our sin and to be sacrificed for it. This is not that Jesus became a sinner on the cross, but that he bore the sins of mankind and died for them. And that's what Isaiah 53 talks about, being despised, rejected of men, acquainted with grief. And verse 11, or verse 10, I should say, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, and when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We're, we're nothing without him. We're lost. Secondly, we're helpless without the blessing of salvation given by Jesus. Jesus could have determined to not come. We're told Philippians 2 that he decided to be obedient to the Father. He made a choice to come and save us. In Romans 5 verses 6 through 8, we're told that when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps even for a good man someone would dare to die. You might die for a good man. You're not dying for a bad man. There's no way. But you might push a good man out of the way of a moving vehicle. But God demonstrates His love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were worthless. And yet Christ died for us because we had value to them nonetheless. They loved us enough to do that for us. Christ is the main character. But a supporting character that we want to look at in the first one is the church. We're told to be expected to abound in the work of the church. The work of the church. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 55 through 58. Paul's writing here, he's starting to close out his thoughts to this letter to Corinth, and he's saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? Well, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ to do what? Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we cannot abound if we put our needs over the church's needs. That word abound, when you look at it in the Greek, I find it interesting because we don't use this phrase, but it's the idea of to super abound. Talking about main characters, right? How many superheroes do we know that have been someone that, like Superman, able to leap over a building in a single bound? 
All of these types of characters that have super in front of their name, and we're told in a roundabout way in the book of 1 Corinthians, you need to be super as well. And you're abounding when it comes to the work of the Lord, of the church where you're at, to super abound, to be in excess, basically. I have a hard time when I do the cooking in our house figuring out the portions that we need. I usually make way too much. If we're going to have pancakes in my house, I might as well invite the church over because I'm probably making a hundred. And I just don't know any better. You'd think by now I'd learn, but I always think, no, we're going to need more food than this. And then we look in the fridge a couple days later and where all those pancakes come from? We were in excess. We had too much. And while it's not good in that moment, I should be in excess when it comes to being a Christian and working in the church. The church deserves to be in excess. To have so much that it doesn't know what to do with it. I mentioned in the Bible class hour, we have around 30-something Bible studies that we're trying to figure out how we're going to do that we got from this campaign. That's to be in excess right now. I guess we could split it 10 each preacher and do it that way. That's one way we could do it. We could give them all to the youth minister. Maybe he would prove his worth that way. What do y'all think about that one? Uh, You know, I'm kidding, I hope. But we have 30-something. How are we going to do all of those? Well, you know what that shows me, though? People in this community do want the gospel. They do want to study it at least, and all we can really do with people is give them the opportunity. That's to be in excess. Now, when you look at the amount of doors knocked and you look at the amount of studies, you would think that that's not to be in excess. But we really are. We have an opportunity now to reach people with the gospel. And this mindset in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 doesn't convey a I will work when it suits me mentality. And why does the church as a whole, I'm not speaking directly to the Somerville church, though I do think that we would be wise to consider this as a direct statement to us. Why does the church seem to struggle with getting volunteers? Why is it that almost every congregation has, it seems, the same exact group of people that always pitch in and always help? You know, we need more teachers in the Lord's church. We need more workers that are willing to do odds and ends. We need more deacons, more elders. Not because the ones we have aren't good enough, but because we're told to superabound in the work of the church, to be in excess. There's no excuse. There's no reason for me to not do this, for me to not be involved in the work of the church, for me to not go all in. Superabound. What's my reason? I bet it's not a good one. The work is too important, and there's always something that can be done. And this second supporting character, if you will, is the lost. They're a main focus of the church as well. And Christ's main focus was to do two things, seek and save the lost, but He was also coming to establish His kingdom. And so Jesus said, the church and the lost, that's my focus. Well, the church was established and the church has works that it needs to do, but one of those works is to reach out to the lost because we're commanded to go out into the world and seek and save those who are lost. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, though these verses were said to the apostles, it still applies to us 
as we've been instructed to follow the doctrine or teachings of these men, Acts 2, 42 through 47. We have a responsibility to do that, to tell people what we know, as well as we've been told to imitate the Savior, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. But let me point this out. The saving message is not about our life story. I don't think it's wrong to start a Bible study out with talking about how people became Christians. I, I think that shows how salvation is obtained. But it should be noted that ultimately what we do in a Bible study is show them the Savior, right? It's never the goal to say it's all about us, and I don't think that's our mindset when we take people and go around the room. I've done this before in a Bible study. Why don't you tell us how you were saved, and then let's go to you and we'll work our way around the room. But when we start the Bible study, it has to all shift to no one in that room. Some of the worst words that can be said when it comes to studying the Bible are the following. I think, fill in the blank. I feel, fill in the blank. I'm pretty sure I know that it's fill in the blank. You know, in that moment, you're making yourself the main character. And you're speaking in the place of God. There are some things where that's fine to do. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion at times, but there are other things we, we don't get to have an opinion on. God made our opinion up already, and we need to follow it. It doesn't matter what I think or what I feel or what I think I know, what I've studied, what I, what I believe is the case. If the Scripture says one thing, I need to believe it. I need to obey it. And the saving message is not about our life story. The apostles understood this. Peter specifically said in Acts 5, 29 and verses, verse, verse 32, says in verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Those of you that have taken us into captivity here and have put us into prison and have now brought us before you in some type of court system, you're not the main character. You're not the people we answer to. We obey God rather than men. And he goes on to say in verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. And him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. And his message that Peter was preaching was surrounded by the Lord's story instead of his own. Peter could have gone on and on about himself, but instead he went on and on about the Savior. He could have talked about his experiences and what he experienced, but instead he pointed people to the Master. In Acts chapter 4 and verses 8 through 20, you have the disciples again, Jesus or Peter, I should say, that's being taken. And one of the things that he says in verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, and nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. It's not about men. Peter, it's not about you, is it? No, it's not. And in fact, he goes on to say in verse 20, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We have a responsibility to do that. And what we've seen and what we've heard is that we're not special. The Savior is. 
Now, as we begin to close, I want to give you some application. And I want to first look at the idea of humility, that we have to humble ourselves in order to be successful. You know, Christ came to the earth when we did not deserve Him. We mentioned that earlier in the lesson. From the first man that lived, Adam, the first man, to the last one who ever could live, we did not deserve what we were given. And we have been sinners in our lifetime. Perhaps even still to this point, we find ourselves in sin. Even the best of people have transgressed and are in need of God's grace. Cornelius was. We look at Acts chapter 10. He was a good man. And yet for some reason, he was told to send to Joppa for Peter so that it would be told what he needed to do. And what he needed to do was become a Christian because that's what he did in that chapter. But he was a good man, and that wasn't enough. We have to humble ourselves in order to be successful by applying the same humility and being willing to do what is not pleasant. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by doing what? Being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition and conceit. Don't be the main character. Stop it. It's not about you. It's not about making the story all about you. Not everything in life revolves around Michael Clark or anyone else in this world. But boy, sometimes I feel like it should. And so do you, don't you? But Paul's decree, before he goes into one of the greatest sections on humility that we read earlier in this lesson, he says, stop doing things with selfish ambition and conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each person, each one of you, look, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Stop being self-centered. Look for the other people. And then he says what we read earlier where he talks about letting that mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus, that he came to the earth for countless people that ever had, ever do, and ever will live. And he humbled himself in order to do that. This is God's story, and we do have a part to play. Because while we're not the main character, we are still invaluable to God. I said when I started this lesson to hold on to this thought that we're not special. <coughs> One of my favorite movies that came out years ago now is, you know, almost, I guess, nine years ago, going on ten. It was the first movie I'd ever seen in theaters where all of my favorite superheroes teamed up together. It's called The Avengers. And at one point in that movie, Iron Man is talking with Captain America. I never thought I'd say that in a sermon. That's one of the weirdest setups, by the way. But he looks at him and he says to Steve Rogers, who is this super soldier because of some serum that he was given, he says, everything special about you came out of a bottle. And he's trying to convey to him, you're not special just because you're strong 
Everything you are now is because you were given this serum. That's the only reason that you are the way that you are. But in reality, that wasn't the truth. What the movies and the comic books had always laid out about Steve Rogers was that he was a good man and that what he was given when he became a super soldier just enhanced what he already was. He was already a good man, but now he's a good soldier. But when we look at man, it's the other way around. Man on his own is incapable of being good. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because Romans tells us that we're going to sin. That man's nature is to not be perfect. We're not perfect people. And that all of man will sin. And yet, God came in and said, I love you anyway. And I want you to be with me. Though if we're literally being honest, everything special about us came from the likeness and image that we were made in. I think when we read the idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made, we've misapplied it. We're not fearfully and wonderfully made because we exist. We're fearfully and wonderfully made because we're in the image of the Father. We've been made in God's image, and that's why we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Because of who we are like. And yet even still, we find ourselves trying to force us into being the main character into being the one that the message is all about. But even then, God still demonstrated this love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. What a blessing. Jesus even said that, his salva- that our salvation was worth Him dying. Because in Luke 22, 41-44, Jesus prays this prayer in agony. And He says a simple couple of lines. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, I don't want to die. I don't. But I will if it's the only way. And we talked in the Bible class hour about prayer, and sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is later. Brother Billy pointed that out. God gave Jesus an answer. And the answer was no. There is no other way. You have to die. And He was willing to. And He did. Because though the only thing that I believe the Scriptures teach about us that makes us special is that we're made in the image of God, Jesus still knew that we had souls. And He didn't want us to spend an eternity in hell. And so He gave us an opportunity for salvation. And so we have an opportunity now to put the proper focus and importance on what truly matters. And the question is, are we going to be all involved in doing the work that is required by Christians? What will be our excuse we have things we classify as needs. And forgive me, they're, they're stuff you've heard before, but it's just true. I needed to be at that event, ball game, 
concert, whatever. I needed to be there. I needed to get that assignment done, so God had to come second. I needed. Let's fix those sentences. I wanted to be at that ball game. I wanted to put God last in that moment. I wanted to prioritize that assignment, whatever it is, for school, for work, for your own house, your projects that you're working on, whatever it might be. I wanted to prioritize that over God because I'm the main character. It's not about God, it's about me. That's what we're saying. That's what we're doing. When we don't sacrifice and when we don't do the things that Brother John talked about in the gospel meeting, doing an excellent job, when no change can happen in our own lives after hearing stuff like that, starting with me and coming forward, what's wrong with us? Could you all agree, as I do, that I can do better after listening to those lessons last week? I hope so. And I hope if I ever get to a point where I don't think that way that you knock me upside the head and help me think that way. I'm not the main character. I'm not special simply because I breathe, simply because I'm alive. I'm only special because God said I'm special and God redeemed me. Because if I take God out of the equation, Michael Clark is pretty worthless. And though I love each and every one of you, so are all of us. We're not special without God. We have nothing without Him. And the work of the church has to come first. And I'm not saying that it's sinful to go be at a ball game or to work on an assignment. But I think when you and I study the book of Ecclesiastes and we remember chapter 3, there's a time and place for everything, but that book is written about a man who was trying to be the main character. Whatever I want to do, I'm doing, God, and you're just going to have to deal with it. If I want to laugh, I'm going to call for the jesters. If I want to build buildings, I'm going to build the greatest buildings there have ever been. If I want to do whatever, whatever my heart desired to do, I did it. I kept nothing back. And yet he ended the book by saying, I'm not the main character. I was wrong. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, you remember it. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. I'm nothing if I don't keep God's commandments. My whole worth, my whole value, my whole being is to follow the main character and to keep Him in front of me at all times. Why? He closes the book by saying, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So I need to follow after Him. Will we be too arrogant to realize that we're not the main character? No one will bow to me on Judgment Day. No one will bow to you. No one will bow to the presidents that have served this country. No one will bow to the kings and queens that have lived throughout the time. No one will bow to the local government leaders and the police officers and the firefighters. And the We can keep going if you want. We're all going to bow to the Father. We're told in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we talk about this idea of this main character mentality, so many movies and so many video games and comic books and books in general have often depicted the heroes as unsuspecting people. People you wouldn't suspect would be good at doing anything like this. And they accomplish great feats and they gain respect from the people that are around them because of what they've done. You think of most of the comic book world, Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter. Really? I know what he really is and you do too. Spider-Man, a teenage boy who has these powers and takes on villains. Unsuspecting individual. The book series Harry Potter had this young boy who grew up to fight against evil at the age of 17. The Lord of the Rings took some of the smallest creatures that they could have made, the smallest people, they call them hobbits, and those were the ones that carried the ring to Mordor and took care of everything and took care of the big problems. Small little unsuspecting characters saved mankind. And at the end of all of these books, all of these movies, all of these comic books, there are parades thrown. People even at times have changed their opinion on these people and have asked for forgiveness and apologized because they treated them too harshly. Yet the Savior was underestimated by people even after He proved His worth. Countless miracles. Countless teaching. And there are still people even to this day that deny Him what He's owed what he's due. He's the main character. Will we promote ourselves like the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the Jewish high priest who sat in a prominent position of power and acted as God? And countless others that we find throughout scriptures who seem to be beneath doing it God's way. Even people throughout our history who seem to be beneath doing it God's way. Or will we realize that we're not the main character, not the main focus, and shift to what is and to who is? I don't know a lot about life, I promise you. But I know this much for sure. No matter how many times as a little boy or even now to this point that I've watched a movie and felt like I could identify with the main character, this is not my story. It's not yours. It's not our leaders. It's nobody's but God's. And the only one that can give us salvation is Him. And He's given it to us. And I'll close by telling you this, there's nothing wrong with being a supporting character that fills our role and purpose. Ryan would tell you in chess, even pawns are very important pieces but they're the smallest and the most insignificant of all of them. When you think, no, they're not. They play a vital role. And so do all of us. Though we're not the most important, we're still important to God. And we still have an opportunity to reach the men and women of our community and of our world by preaching and teaching that gospel message to them, showing them the main focus and telling them what to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to do that. The New Testament teaches us that we can hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized 
and then live faithfully for the rest of our days, ready to meet the Father. Perhaps you've done all of that, but not lived faithfully lately, and you need to come home. You can. Perhaps you've done none of it, and you want to study more about it because you're unsure. We'd be happy to do that with you. Maybe you're ready to make that decision and dedication right now. Whatever it is, follow the main character as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.